Okay, so a uh, little factoid about Leslie. Uh, in, in college, I studied linguistics and Spanish, uh, which doesn't seem all that applicable to my current life, but it made sense at the time, I promise. Um, and one of the things I was most fascinated by in those classes was learning about how we acquire language as humans. We have this tendency to imagine babies' brains as being like little blank slates, and they're just adding new sounds and words to the database as they learn them. But it's actually kind of the opposite. Babies are born with these, like, they're hardwired with all the possible components for any human language. And so learning to speak, say, English specifically, becomes more about learning which sounds to, are meaningful and which sounds to just completely ignore. Uh, I'm going to show you what I mean. And this requires some audience participation. So you guys are going to join me, okay? Um, I want you to uh, hold your hand like this in front of your face. And we're going to say the word P-I-L-L, pill, pill, pill. Okay, do you feel that little puff of air on the P when you say that? Okay, we're going to add one letter to that this time. We're going to say spill, spill, spill. Do you notice how that little puff of air isn't really there or it's way lighter? Okay. One more. We're going to switch to the order of the letters. Instead of saying pill, I want you to say lip. Lip. You didn't even open your mouth on that one. There was no puff of air, right? So here's the deal. The words pill, spill, and lip all have what we think of as the same P sound. But they're actually very different sounds that are pretty easy to distinguish when somebody shows you how to recognize them. But the, the thing is, you learn to ignore those differences. Because when you were growing up, you, you were little, the most important voices in your world, the people you trusted most, were obviously ignoring them. So you just kind of learned to lump them all together too, until you could no longer hear the difference between them. But a baby growing up in Thailand, for instance, they would learn to recognize those sounds as completely different letters, because they're pretty different. In linguistics, the voices we hear all the time and the ones we trust the most determine what we see and find meaningful and what we ignore and just let pass by us unnoticed. We're in the middle of this series called Treasure, and we're taking a look at the section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he tells us that what we treasure most will shape and determine the trajectory of our lives. In this section, Jesus famously said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is challenging us to get honest with ourselves about what we really treasure. Is it God and his kingdom of love, or is our treasure in something else entirely? And two weeks ago, Brian said that if we want to learn to see the world through the lens of God's kingdom, it requires an inner transformation from darkness to light. And he said, we see what our eyes are trained to see. So the good news that we're going to talk about today is going to build on that good news. If we see what our eyes are trained to see, it matters who I trust to train me. The life that I get will be shaped by the trainer I choose. As babies, we didn't get to choose which language we were trained under. It was just a function of the environment that we were born into. But as an adult, if I want to learn another language, I can choose to put myself in another environment. I can find voices to surround myself with and immerse myself in a new way of thinking and speaking. And the same is true for us when we're evaluating the treasures that are shaping our lives. The world around us is constantly training us to treasure things like money and appearance and power and status. And Jeremiah talked about this last week. Uh, that often becomes a trap that's so subtle and so deceptive that we can fall into the trap and have no idea that we're there. That's why it's so important for us to take seriously what Jesus is saying to us in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Because if we don't intentionally choose 
the treasure that we're after, the world's empty treasures are going to train us to see what they want us to see. And all of a sudden, we're going to miss out on the treasures that God's kingdom has for us in the here and now. If we see what our eyes are trained to see, it matters who I trust to train me. The life I get will be shaped by the trainer I choose. So we're going to take another look at the verse of scripture that Jeremiah talked about last week. Jesus tells us, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This isn't really groundbreaking. Jesus is just kind of describing reality here. He's describing the way the world works. He says, listen, like you, it simply will not work for you to chase after both of these treasures at the same time. They're, they're pulling you in different directions, so at some point you have to make a choice. On one hand, you have God and his kingdom of love that's characterized by radical self-sacrificial love for others, including even our enemies. And on the other hand, we have wealth. As Jay pointed out last week, uh, the word that's translated here as wealth in a lot of translations shows up as the word mammon. Uh, Mammon was a name commonly used for the spiritual force of greed in our world. And this idea goes way beyond money. It's more like um, the seductive pull toward acquiring more for oneself, like more money, more possessions, more power and prestige, more safety and security. It's just that thing inside us that longs for more, more, more. And God and greed are both really powerful trainers, but their training goals are in direct opposition to one another. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so they offer really different tra- training regimens to, to develop ourselves in them. And remember, if we, tr- if we see what our eyes are trained to see, it matters who we trust to train us. So the life we get will be shaped by the trainer we choose, which means we have to take a good look at, like, what are the training goals that these paths offer? What do the regimens look like? Uh, This is going to seem really basic, but sometimes we don't step back to just acknowledge it and own it. Greed trains us for discontentment. Uh, Greg Boyd uh, was talking about this section of the sermon, and he said, the whole thing runs on discontentment. If you don't have discontentment, mammon can't really do a thing. It's fueled by discontentment, and the discontentment is usually fueled by a lie. The lie that greed whispers to us is always some form of you don't have enough. You don't have enough. And so we hear that lie and we start hustling to try to make up the gap on our own and hoard all of the resources that we think that we need for ourselves and our own family. But then every single time, greed comes back in and it whispers, it's still not enough. Look at that person over there and all they have. Maybe you need just a little bit more. It's like this quicksand that just keeps pulling you further and further down and you never find your way to enough. And here's the thing, guys. Greed's training environment is readily available around us all the time. It's given us ample opportunities to train in discontentment every single day. It comes to us in the marketing emails and the pop-up ads and the billboards that are on your everyday commute. It bubbles up when you see those well-curated images on social media of your neighbor's new car or recent vacation or new home remodel. It can show up in the form of a job offer that offers an impressive salary bump, but in exchange, you've got to give away more of the time and energy that you promised to your friends and your family. And sure, maybe you have to drop that volunteer opportunity that you love, but you'll get back to it in a few years after the next promotion, or maybe after you hit that retirement goal you're after, just a little bit more. 
And this is so sneaky in our lives because the truth is none of those things are bad in and of themselves. They're not. But when they begin to consume your time or attention, or when you're convinced that you've got to hustle to make it to enough on your own strength, there's a very good chance that that elusive enough is actually the treasure that you're seeking. And when that's true, greed is the trainer that's shaping the way that you spend your one and only life. If we see what our eyes are trained to see, it matters who I trust to train me. The life I get is shaped by the trainer I choose. So what's the alternative? This is going to be real simple. But if greed trains us in discontentment, then God's kingdom trains us for contentment. The Apostle Paul was a guy who knew a lot about contentment. Um, He knew the profound effect of a new trainer in a new training environment and how that could affect his life. This was a guy who literally went from being like an angry religious zealot who was killing people for following Jesus to eventually becoming the guy who wrote the majority of the books of the New Testament. And he was credited with bringing the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, which eventually included all of us. His training and contentment, though, was not an easy one. He experienced sudden blindness, shipwrecks, imprisonment, and more. And here's what he took away from all of it. He says, I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and of having more than enough. I've learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, or whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. In all of the ups and downs in Paul's journey, he put aside his temptation to try to reach for all these resources and meet his needs in his own strength. And instead, he practiced looking to God to provide for him. So when life was good and people were receiving his message and he had food and shelter, he was grateful because God was with him, providing for him. And when things were hard and he was in prison, and he was waiting to see if he was going to be executed, as he was when he wrote those words, actually, He had hope because he knew that God was with him, providing for him. That's the truth that never changed. If discontentment is fueled by a lie that we don't have enough, then contentment is fueled by the truth that God has already freely given us more than enough, and we can trust him to continue to provide. In that same letter, Paul goes on to remind us, my God will meet your every need out of his riches in the glory that is found in Christ Jesus. Guys, when we choose to train in the kingdom of God, we can trust our trainer. We can trust him to provide all we need and more. But we're not going to accidentally stumble into that training environment. We've got to intentionally choose it. If we see what our eyes are being trained to see, it matters who we're choosing and trusting to train us. The life we get will be shaped by the trainer we choose. Now, in college, uh, I realized that If I wanted to move from just learning a lot about the Spanish language to actually being able to speak Spanish fluently, I probably needed to change the training environment I was in. So my junior year, I moved to Mexico City and I spent that whole year of school there. Um, And the first couple of weeks were some of the most exhausting of my entire life. I didn't know anyone there when I got on a plane for the first time in my life. Um, and this shouldn't have been a surprise, but real world Spanish was like a lot faster than classroom Spanish was. I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. (laughs) And I found that I ended up like every day of at least the first two weeks, just overwhelmed and in tears, but I still had to figure out how to rent a place to live and figure out public transit so I could get to school and buy groceries and stuff like that. I was disoriented. I made a ton of mistakes at first. 
But as I just kept living life in a different environment, eventually I settled in. And all of a sudden I noticed that somebody would ask me a question and I would just respond to it without having to stop and think and translate in my head before I spoke. And then over time I started making friends, venturing out more, and I really fell in love with that beautiful city and the language and customs and culture of that place. So when I came back to Mizzou for my senior year, uh, my professors kind of couldn't believe how much better my Spanish was when I was speaking. They also couldn't believe how Mexican my accent was, and they were all Spaniards, so they didn't love that part. But they, they couldn't deny that intentionally choosing a different training environment had made all the difference in the way I was able to be fluent in that language. If we see what our eyes are trained to see, it matters the training environments we put ourselves in. The, the life we get is shaped by the trainer and the envir- training environments that we choose. So let's get practical here. Like, how do we do this? How do we get intentional about choosing our trainer? First, I think we have to wake up to the reality that we are already in a training environment that's shaping us for something, right? Every day. The world we live in gives us constant daily opportunities to be trained by greed and to practice leaning into our own strength and being discontent instead of trusting God's provision. Discontentment is going to come naturally to all of us because we have literally been training for it our whole lives. So if we want to switch gears and we want to train for something different, we're going to have to embrace practices that put us in a different training environment. And just like I felt super disoriented in Mexico City at first, it might feel awkward and disorienting and uncomfortable at first. But as we practice, it begins to feel more natural. Um, There are kind of like three big buckets Uh, of practices that people who have been following Jesus have used to train in contentment in the kingdom of God since pretty much Jesus was walking the earth. Uh, And the first is going to seem really obvious. It's gratitude. We're going to call these three G's because we found G's for all of them. That makes me really happy. (laughs) One of the best ways that we can train in contentment is to just like practice our first practice for becoming. We notice and name God's work in and around us. We just look around and we step back for a second to notice the way that God has already provided for our needs and to thank him for that. And here's the thing. It's really important to push ourselves to go beyond just the easy things to be thankful for. We're all thankful for friends and family and freedom. Those things are so important. They're so good. We should be grateful for them. But what if we were thankful for more than that? What if we were thankful uh, that we found a way to kind of keep our cool in that really tense work meeting? this past week. And we didn't say the thing that was in our head. Thank you, God. (laughs) What if you've had a hard day with your kids and all you want to do is check out or maybe complain to a friend and instead you practice thanking God for the opportunity to grow your resilience and your patience because kids will give us a lot of those opportunities. (laughs) Or maybe you just thank him for the fact that like you know he's at work in your kid's life, even on the days it's hard and it's really hard to notice it. We practice gratitude the way Paul did. We look for any and every circumstance, and we look for the ways that God's providing us, and we're grateful for it. That's a practice that we can be intentional about. So the first one is gratitude. The second bucket is give away. We can lean into the truth that God provides abundantly for us by sharing the resources he's already given us. Uh, This includes things like donating to our Love Works projects or giving financially to partner with your church or your favorite charities with missions you believe in. But it's about more than our finances. It's, I mean, a lot of us struggle with just feeling like we don't have enough time, right? 
It may be that we need to practice giving away some of our time and energy so that we can intentionally put ourselves in an environment where we're forced to rely on God to provide the energy and the time that we need. So maybe that means, you know, signing up to ring the bell for an hour for Salvation Army or United Way. Maybe it means talking to Tracy and signing up to to work with Littlest Heitzers and Go Kids. It could mean spending, you know, just talking to a coworker, you know, struggling at work, maybe invite them for dinner and just listen and encourage them and embody God's love in their life. You could be practicing giving away time or resources. Uh, people that do this regularly, they often say that they end up getting back so much more than they gave away. They find joy in the way that they're joining God and what he's doing in the world. And the really amazing thing, the, the thing that feels miraculous, is that they learn to trust that when they navigate the world with open hands, ready to share the resources God's blessed them with, they find that over and over again, God continually keeps that well from going dry. So we can practice gratitude. We can practice giving away. And the third bucket we can practice is getting rid of. So maybe for some of us, it means we got to voluntarily step back, pare down, and get rid of some of the things that we've held on to so that we can practice trusting God's resources instead of our own. Uh, Greg Boyd said about this, the less you have of mammon, the less of you mammon has. The less we surround our thing, ourselves with things that make us feel comfortable, that we can make our life happen on our own, the, the more we have to trust God, the more we learn the freedom of that, of knowing that we have more than we realize. This could lean, look like just cleaning out an overstuffed closet, Or maybe it's saying no to a commitment that's been on your calendar that regularly puts you in an environment that trains you in discontentment. It could be just taking a day to unsubscribe from all the marketing emails that hit your inbox. Guys, this is life-changing, especially this time of year. You are going to get inundated by daily reminders of all the things you need to make these holidays, you know, perfect over the next six weeks. But you can opt out of that. You can get rid of that influence in your life. I know it doesn't feel like it some days, but we've all grown up in a very affluent Western culture. And, you know, that's compared to the rest of the world that has so much less than us and lives with that uh, on a daily basis. As much as we want to see that affluence and where we've grown up as purely a blessing, and we all know the ways that it is, sometimes it's also created a training environment for many of us where we've learned to put our trust in what we already have instead of trusting God. So perhaps it's time to just clear the clutter, pare down, put ourselves intentionally in an environment that feels like, ooh, this isn't what I'm used to. This isn't, maybe doesn't feel like enough so that you can practice contentment in God's provision for you. If we see what our eyes are trained to see, it matters who we trust to train us. The life we get will be shaped by the trainer we choose. So practices like gratitude and giving away and getting rid of help us to learn from Jesus how to live from the abundance of God's kingdom instead of the discontentment of chasing more and more and more all the time. Uh, For me, uh, this fall has been kind of a challenging season for me. Uh, I had some big changes in my life, so I've been adjusting to some new life and work rhythms while also trying to show up for several family and friends um, who have been going through some really challenging things health-wise, financially, relationally. Uh, And I've had a lot of I don't have enough moments among that. Um, Not enough time, not enough energy, not enough wisdom or help or money. 
And in that headspace, uh, things can spiral pretty quickly for me. And all of a sudden, all I see is what I don't have to give instead of what I do. And so to, be, to combat this, I've had to get super intentional about reheating my daily gratitude practice. This is something I used to do all the time, and I had just gotten busy, and I got away from it. Uh, but I've been taking time at the end of each day to think back over the day and just look for the ways God provided what I needed for that day, whether it was a good day or a hard day. And it's helping train my eyes to see the abundance of God's provision instead of just my fear of not having enough. If I see what my eyes are trained to see, it matters who I trust to train me. And the life that I'm getting right now is being shaped by the trainer that I'm choosing every day. Gratitude is just one of the ways that I'm choosing to train under Jesus and cultivate contentment in my life. And the more I practice things like gratitude, giving away, getting rid of, the more fluent I become in the language of contentment. I love that we're part of a church where we talk about this stuff, where we practice training in the countercultural ways of Jesus together. Each week we come here and we come to learn and to encourage one another and to share what's working and what's not. And we practice kingdom living together like the way Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount.